are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 53, covering Encounter at Farpoint, Parts 1 and 2. Well, here we are. Kirk and Spock and those guys are gone. It feels really weird. It does. I'm sad and lonely. This is, this is something we need to address first, I think. We, we talked about this a little in our supplemental episode, but I, I think it bears repeating. We did not expect going into this to be so attached to the original crew that we didn't want to then move on to next gen. It, it, we kind of had to push ourselves. Yeah, a little bit. And I like these guys. Like, I watched well, way thing. more early... TNG back in the day than I ever watched original series. Yeah, and early on when we started this podcast, we would be like, okay, we'll push through, you know, and it'll take a year, we'll push through the original, and then we'll get to the good stuff. But it doesn't feel like that now. No, it feels we like... found a lot of good stuff. Not only that, but we really appreciated those characters we gained a new appreciation for a lot of things about them mm-hmm. and the ship and just everything and it's like i don't know we, we put ourselves as i think as closely as possible to the mindset of star trek fans in 87 when this new show showed up because we both went in thinking ah oh, this is all that's not the right ship who's that guy why is it so squished yeah and why is this bald guy that's not kirk where's spock at least had the dignity to wear a toupee yeah, that's so, you know, get the hair joke out of there early. That's I know. But, um, no, it was strange. We were we were really expecting to, to feel like, okay, year two, we're in this now, we're in the good show. It doesn't really feel like that. No. That said, though, we know we got a lot of good ahead of us, and this is a rough first season, but I think, I think we're going to appreciate it just as we watch it get better and grow and to know what's yeah. coming. So. It was a rough first episode, frankly. It was, and because this was a uh, feature-length episode, because it was originally aired uh, as as a two-hour thing, then split into two parts, we're just doing Encounter at Farpoint, yep. the uh, the pilot. We split it into part one and part two. Um, I'm not actually sure where the divide was. I couldn't really find because all the DVDs and everything just have it as one thing. Yeah, we uh, had to cut. <clears throat> we had to. There was some debate over where the episode ended. There, I basically took the times, you know. Like, okay, this this feels like it's halfway, and the music seems to indicate there should be credits now. Mm. But that was sort of arbitrary. So I'm going to be recapping part one, and, uh, you know, we'll, we will eventually be getting back into the talk about one episode, then talk about the next episode format. But this time we're going to do, you know, I'll summarize part one, he'll summarize part two, and then we'll just talk about the whole thing. Yes. And then Matt will hit you once, and you will hit him twice. <laughs> and so Please on. Please don't hit Matt twice. Um. Please refrain from hitting that twice. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I will begin with part one. Space. How are we possibly still exploring space some 75 years after Jim Kirk's ship was decommissioned? How much space can there be? Anyway, these are the voyages of, well, not the Starship Enterprise, but a Starship Enterprise. NCC 1701D, to be exact. It's continuing mission to attempt to win us over with the antics of a new crew that includes a fake English Frenchman who doesn't seem to like people or gods or much of anything. <laughs> A pale-faced robot man who, like Pinocchio, longs to be a real boy, get it? A know-it-all child who makes us long for the cold Russian embrace of Pavel Chekhov. (laughs) A hot-looking, hot-headed lady from the scenic rape camps of wherever the hell Tasha was from. And also some dudes in dresses. There are some other largely forgettable people in there as well, I think. Also a fucking Klingon on the bridge! 
and everyone's okay with that. What the hell is going on here? So before this brand new enterprise can explore so much as a single strange new world or seek out one lousy new civilization, they're assaulted by some cutting-edge 1987 CGI. Thankfully, there's also an actual guy included with this horrible mess. Trust me, it even looked bad in 1987. I was there. And thankfully, again, that guy is John Delancey as Q. Seriously, if they'd gone with one of the many hilarious alternate castings we've since read about and cast, I don't know, Ron Palillo, TV's horse shack from Welcome Back Cotter, as Q, it just would have fallen on its ass at day one. Thankfully, Delancey knows what the hell's going on, even if the script and primary cast don't yet. To wit, he taunts them, he puts them on trial for the crimes of humanity, and the bold new crew of the Starship Enterprise, crown jewel of the Federation and flagship of Starfleet, responds by separating the saucer part of the ship from the bottom part. For an hour! Matt and I split this episode in two, since it originally aired in two parts. I really thought I'd gotten one over on him, since my half has a pretty fantastic cameo from the original crew. But what I forgot was that my part features all the saucer separation. And by that, I mean literally all of it. The ship will only perform this trick twice more in the subsequent 178 episodes, then once more in the movie where they promptly throw the entire thing into a planet. So drink it in now, I guess. It's not like there's a whole lot else going on. I guess saucer separation sort of counts as boldly going where no one has gone before, but I don't know, there might be a reason for that. Possibly because it's boring as hell to watch. <coughs> now, Matt, please take us into part two. Yes, all right. So Q shows up ba back up on the Enterprise's bridge to poke Picard, tell him he's running low on time, and get another look at, the da at this dashing Frenchman. God, you're enchanting, he whispers when Picard's back is turned. Then he vanishes, leaving only the scent of desperation. Picard and Riker meet in P Picard's ready room to have an argument about Riker not letting Picard beam down if he wants to, and also that Riker should protect him from any children that might be wandering around the ship. Picard comes away looking like a jerk, and Riker, well, I actually can't pay attention to anything Riker says because his face is so naked. Then Riker, Picard, and Troy all meet up, and we discover that Riker and Troy were once in a relationship. Riker is Troy's Imzadi, a Betazoid word which means Peter David will write two books about you, one of which will not, not be very good. <laughs> Picard and Troy go and meet with Groppler Zorn, a name so stupid it should be in The Phantom Menace, and Troy does the only thing she's good at besides fl filling out spandex and senses pain from somewhere. Negotiations break down at this point, and Grumple Zorch threatens to take away his shiny new space station to the Ferengi, but Picard knows how to haggle and takes a walk. Meanwhile, on the Enterprise, Riker meets Data in the holodeck. Data is attempting to learn how to whistle Pop Goes the Weasel and comes off as a creepy serial killer. Then Wesley shows up to ruin everything and fall in a pond. Riker leads an away mission down to Farpoint Station's tunnels, which I guess you could just walk into, <clears throat> and Troy feels pain again to justify her appearance. Then a flying saucer appears and kidnaps Gorgel Zurch for some light probing. <laughs> it attacks the Bandy City and his team beam and Riker's team beams over again. This time Troy senses anger just to shake things up a little. Also, we discover that the interior of the flying saucer is the same as the tunnels below Farpoint. Riker concludes that the saucer and Farpoint are somehow connected. That this may be a budget decision due to the large amount of money spent on making Troy's hair look as ugly as possible occurs to nobody. Riker frees Grogglezich, and they return to the Enterprise, where Q is back, encouraging Picard to fight the saucer using dialogue so ham-fisted that it could only come from the pen of Gene Wesley Roddenberry, his own self. Picard, realizing that if the villain is telling him to do something, he should, pro he should probably do the opposite, instead yells at, at Gundelzich until he reveals that the <laughs> Farpoint Station is actually built on an ancient Indian burial alien that grants wishes. The alien was injured, and the bandy captured it. Flying Saucer is its mate, captured alien goes free, and the two space monsters engage in some hot tentacle monster fuckery. And Q leaves forever. 
or for three episodes. I forget which. I, I point of order. I don't think you mentioned that the the only wishes that it can grant are apple based for some reason. Yeah, it can. It starts early in the episode when uh, Riker walks into into Groppler <laughs> Zorn's office, and there's a bowl of fruit on the desk, and he and uh, Riker asks for an apple, and it turns out there isn't any. And then magically, a bowl of them appear. <laughs> it was very hard not to just fixate on. The miracle of the apple, and I love Grappler Zorn's thing. It's just like, yeah, they were there all the time. You just didn't see sure. them. Look, I mean, what kind of alien would just make apples appear from nothing? That's, that's madness. That's stupid. As sure as my name is Grappler Zorn, <laughs> those apples were there. I uh, Grappler Zorn is very clearly the uh, the character find of this episode. <laughs> It never even occurred to me that that was funny, probably because I've seen this episode so many times in the past that I've just kind of come to accept it. But you pointing it out, I just can't stop giggling now. He, he grapples. He, he's a grappler. <laughs> he, he's into grappling. Look, yeah. look, Farpoint Station has a lot of grappling that needs to be done, and Zorn is the grappler to grapple those. He's the top-notch grappler of all the grapplers. He comes from a long line of grapplers. The Zorns are known. They're known grropplers. Oh, God. And the guy who plays him is, is uh, since, mostly a... Since before your son burned hot in the sky, <laughs> he has groppled... Groppled Zorn. <laughs> the guy who played him, Michael Bell, was a, was a well-known uh, uh, voice actor in the 80s and I think into the 90s. He was the voice of Duke on G.I. Joe. He was the voice of Dr. Banner in the 80s, Hulk cartoon, and many, many, many other things. So it's already a familiar voice to any of us who grew up on those cartoons around then. But then to see that he's just not a very good actor, <laughs> in addition to the fact that the character has no motive other than <laughs> I'm be... a selfish jerk who who enslaves an alien because I want free apples. I just... He's such a shitty bad guy. His... He's like, we were talking about this, it's like um, Gul Dukat, who is the, one of the main villains in Deep Space Nine. He's always, you know, like trying to screw people over, but he's so conniving. If he took that element out of it, and if you just made him evil and stupid. <laughs> it's like his big plan is to kidnap an alien, an alien jellyfish that can grant apples <laughs> and stick him in the basement so that and he... build a mall on him. <laughs> build a mall on him. It's basically, the, pl- with an it's apple basically the plot of Poltergeist. Yeah, except I don't think anyone was deliberately trying to enslave the house in Poltergeist, were they? <laughs> well, that's true. I think that was just a, a happy accident, whereas this guy was deliberately doing that. And his basic he he has no plan to keep the Federation from finding out. Like No, I'm pretty sure his argument was, well, I didn't think I'd get caught. Yeah. It's like it's it's like as if he took the car, like the Federation's car out for a joyride. <laughs> but and then and Ferris Bueller shot it through a window. Yeah. And the thing is, I don't know, like, it's not a very well-written character, and the actor is just not great. And between those two things and the ridiculous name and the the horrible costume And his nasally voice. The thing is, comparing him to the other main villain of this two-part episode, Q, John Delancey, Mm -hmm. who returns throughout the series as the writing gets better... And, you know, is good enough to, to carry, you know, he's the best thing about this. Oh, absolutely. By far. Like, everyone else is trying, and they're all good actors, and we know they're going to get good, but they're just not there yet. Whereas Delancey fucking nails it right out of the shoot. Mm-hmm. 
And so having an awesome villain who chews the scenery just enough, but not too much, and who's a perfect foil for Picard, yep. and then comparing him to Groppler Zor, <laughs> that really doesn't do him any favors either. <laughs> but that really, I mean, the star of this is absolutely cute. Oh, totally. Like, and there's a lot of subtle emotional stuff going on whenever he's with picard there's this great escalation that happens where he's starting to annoy him and everything picard says in his defense uh, q just kind of brightens up and he's like i can use that against you i can use that again oh i can be such a dick just wait till what happens next like he's it, there's almost sort of a gleeful like uh frank gorshiny quality to oh, him. oh totally where he sort of he ramps up the evil, and by the end, he's almost prancing and smiling. I know how to do I'm... it. I know how to do it. Exactly. But he starts out sort of gravelly and, you know, sort of, I'm, I, I, you know, you're a savage child, race. And by the end, he's like this. Oh, my God. I can't believe you said that. This is the best yeah. day. He's really, like, and again, because he's in it later and we know he can handle the good stuff, too. Mm. You, you kind of forgive him the over-the-top stuff because you know that's just he's just playing it as written. Yep. <laughs> when the credit comes up at the beginning, Encounter of Farpoint, written by DC Fontana, yay, and Gene Roddenberry. Ooh. And I don't know if it's spending an entire year watching the original series and getting a feel for it or just, I don't know, but I can completely tell you which parts Gene wrote and which parts DC Fontana Oh, totally. so obvious. Any scene where someone is talking about how shitty the 20th century was, Gene... Yeah. Any scene that's competently written, DC Fontana. Well, not just competently written, but, I mean, any pilot, any pilot, good show, bad show, whatever, has a lot of baggage. Yep. They need to introduce you to all the characters and the situations. In this case, not only do they have to introduce you to the basic idea of being out in space and exploring, but they also have to set it apart from the original series. Yep. So there's a lot of work to be done here. When a good writer does that, they give you character development and backstory in natural dialogue. When Gene Roddenberry does it, they just kind of read off a speech. Yep. And you can so easily tell. There's there's bits where Data and Riker are talking, and Data's kind of given some of his backstory, and it feels like a conversation. And then there's a part where Tasha stands up straight and just starts reading off her resume. Yep. She didn't mention the rape camps yet. I guess they're saving that, uh, that punch for later yep. in the season. Now, I think we need to say this up front. Um... Tasha Yar, uh, Didis Crosby, who will, of course, quit halfway through this season. Mm -hmm. I've said this many times before. I think there was a spark of a good character there, and she left before it got good. I think she could have been as good as, say, Kira in in DS9 or Ensign Rowe, like any of those sort of tough, young women. Uh, But she was a quitter, so, you know, that's what happened. And quitters get to be in Pet Cemetery and nothing else. No, she got to be a horrible recurring villain that we're going to hate oh, in a few years. Yeah, I but, forgot about that. But for now, what she is, and I'm not ashamed to say this because I think we've stuck up for the women enough to, to say this, God, is she hot. She, fill, I mean, she fills out a Starfleet uniform like nobody's business. And she doesn't have to wear a micro skirt where you can almost see a pube sticking out nope. like Troy is. And she doesn't have to show any cleavage. She's wearing the same uniform as everyone else. She just wears it well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, I think if she'd stuck around, we could have had a much different show because when she leaves, all that we're left with is is Crusher, who unfortunately is mostly a mom, mm-hmm. and Troy, whose main job is to talk to people about their feelings and sense people's yeah. feelings. Having, like, and a badass it. chick on the bridge would have been awesome. 
And it really would have set it apart from the original series where, as we pointed out many times, the women were not given, you know... Anything to do. Right. It's a little better here. And I think they're doing deliberate things like putting dudes in skirts just to say, look, it's fair mm. now. And making, just... making Yar the security officer also very cool. That's an important However, job. She shoots the photon torpedoes. Yeah, exactly. At first you think, oh god, she's back there. She's just Uhura. But nope. She's, uh, she's, uh, they, it's a little different from the original series in that everyone's jobs are, you know, I think more clearly defined. Yep. Security is a whole separate thing from driving the ship, whereas before it seemed like they were sort of the same thing. Yep. I think Sulu or Chekhov fired the torpedoes and that didn't really make sense no, to me. there's not really a Chekhov chair anymore. Where there's just a chair up front and no one do knows what the guy sitting in it does. Well, Data's usually up there. Right, but he's the science and, officer. We figured that out. Right. He also does ops, which is various things to do with the function of the ship. Right. But he's also the science officer. So, And then you get the other guy who's like the navigator. Yes. And that's usually a rotating, like, Wesley's up there for a while, and then into, like, seasons four and five, you get to rotate. It's always young, hot chicks for some reason. I'm okay with that. They're a good replacement think, for Wesley. Well, I think it's mostly because the, the bridge was dudes and it has to be a junior officer right so they wanted to put a woman in there and because they wouldn't be a senior officer they'd be young so it just worked out i that like way. that logic i'm okay with that yeah but okay so let's let's talk about the cast let's talk about the new characters and all that i really you pointed this out that none of them really come off as particularly likable nope. in this episode. everyone's kind of a dick except for jordy who is instantly likable yeah but he also doesn't do much no that's true and i never liked it I like that he's got a visor. Yep. I like that it has special abilities. I don't like that when he's his primary job on a team is to bring his special eyes with him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you got a visor, come with us and look at things. <laughs> like, I like it when he gets to actively participate and not just be a machine. Yes. There's something very, cru there's something very cruel about bringing a blind guy along to look at stuff. Yeah, exactly. Well, he's got the special spectral analysis and blah, 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 things that the tricorders can't see. Yeah. I get that, but... I don't know. Until they make him the chief engineer, it feels like they didn't know what to do with yeah. him. They didn't have a character yet. They just had a good actor with a gimmick. Yeah. No, making him the chief engineer was fucking brilliant. Yeah. And what's weird is in this first season, we're going to see – we're not going to see the same chief engineer more than two or three times. And they're never going to be memorable characters. No. It's just Picard calls down to engineering and somebody's there, but they're never anyone we care about. I'm actually really surprised that this series didn't start off with a main character as chief engineer. They have engineering, which is a big fuck off set with a giant with And it the, looks great. Yeah. With the ship's like engine thing. Yeah. Right. It looks awesome. And there's no one there to spend time down there. You just wander through on your way somewhere else. Yep. And, and you ogle know, the guy understand... and ogle the guys in skirts. <laughs> Plus, you know, there there's it's two levels and there's that on set elevator. Yep. So if someone in a skirt gets on there and goes up, you just stand there and look. Say. There you go. Yep. Oh, wait, that's a dude. Damn! <laughs> well, you know, everything's a little more liberated in the future. Uh -huh. It's fine. Um, but I, it's just weird to me. Maybe that was one of the ways that they wanted to set themselves apart from the original series was, okay, the chief engineer is not as big a part of this. And then they're like, wait a minute. We got fucking LeVar Burton, who's great. Mm -hmm. We're not really using him. We got engineering why don't we put this peg into this hole yeah that'll work and it actually feels the same with michael dorn and security where tasha's okay mm -hmm. like she's no worse or better than anyone else right now but you got Worf there who's just her subordinate and it feels like 
it feels unnecessary. It feels redundant. Yeah. You got the aggressive security guy who will be the first to say, let's attack. And then just Tasha will say, yep, let's do that. <laughs> this guy makes a good point. Yeah, but I'm the boss, so I have to have the final say, yep. but I agree. Like, I, I think the way things shook out for the most part, as far as job functions go, works better. Like, mm -hmm. I wish they'd had another strong woman, but as far as, you know, I understand that it's better for Jordy to be in charge of engineering and Worf to be in charge of security. But for now, those guys are just kind of in the background. Yep. Um, Riker's surprisingly likable from day one. Yes. You're right, he does look weird without the beard, but... He does. He he really just looks fucking naked. But you remember how both of us were so bored by the tediousness and the, the blandness of Decker. Yes. At this point, right now, they are the same character. There is yep. no difference between them. They just took the old, the old series Bible from the aborted uh, Star Trek Phase 2... And they took a lot of the character stuff and they just changed it to Riker and, you know, updated it a little bit. It's basically the same character. And we're not bored by him. That that says a lot about Frakes. Yep. Because he took this character that, that whoever played Decker, Seventh Heaven dude, whose name I can't remember at the moment, uh, Stephen Collins, um, it just couldn't make us care about. And he really made it his own. And he's, he's kind of charming, kind of headstrong, but also compassionate. Like, there's a lot to him. I feel like Riker usually gets shortchanged when people are talking about next gen because he's just kind of a normal guy. But no, Riker, he's awesome. Riker's awesome. Yeah, and the Riker Picard dynamic from day one. Yep. Like, there's already that stern, disapproving father figure thing going on mm -hmm. there. Picard is like constantly trying to make Riker like explain himself and defend himself and prove why he's there. And Riker, well, that, like you mentioned in your recap, there's that great scene where he's like, "What do you mean I don't get the beam down? I'm the captain." And Riker stands his ground. He's like, "Have you not no, seen the original stupid. series?" Yeah, like not everyone is Kirk, sir. Not everyone's going to be able to live through the stupid risks that that guy took. Yeah, you 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 have disposable guys for a reason. The hood is crammed with dead captains who tried doing what he did. I think I think the USS Hood D has its first uh, inhabitant already, who is Grappler Zorn. I think the USS while, Hood D is a giant sweater. <laughs> while while Zorn is not Starfleet, I think he belongs on our. He's on definitely our one of those characters. Yes, <laughs> yeah, he is Man. taking his place next to Eric's and Mister Hengus. <laughs> Man, yeah. So far, we got our Mister Hengus. He came out early. Yep. Anyway, let's talk, let's talk about the cast. I think Brent Spiner from day one also came out strong. Oh, yeah. Even just the basic stuff that people kind of take for granted, the way he plays an android, the, the body language, the simple, like, the simple actor's trick, the miming. Yeah, no, it is very clear right from the get-go that he is not human. Yeah, he doesn't need a speech to say he's an android because it's obvious the way he holds his arms, mm -hmm. the way he walks, the weird, creepy eye contact he gives you. There's something off about this guy. Yep. Which is great, and and he nails it from day one. Like, there's most of the problems I have with Data in this are writing. Yep. The the acting is already there. He's already Data. Well, I mean, the very first, like, almost the very first scene in the episode is Data spending like twenty minutes having uh, Snoop explain to him. It's extremely yeah. tedious and unnecessary. And it feels like they were trying to to tap that Spock vibe that. Taking a literal, taking a, a, a casual human thing literally and not understanding it, and you know what? That's and this will be season one data, unfortunately. Yeah, Spock always did that better because he didn't come off as an idiot. Well, plus data there's should a, there's know an extra this stuff, you know. Yeah, data should be an encyclopedia of everything. Yeah, but not only that, 
you get the idea that Spock sometimes did that to fuck with people. Yep. Like, there's a whole layer there where I think he understands completely, and he's being deliberately obtuse to say, you guys are stupid. Because it pisses bones off. Well, that too, yes. Um, so, let's see, who else? Troy uh, was, well... Troy looked Troy. like a bag of hay in this episode. So you said. She's I... got, like, this extremely unflatter the extremely unflattering potato sack uniform. Well, and it's a it's a skirt that, like I said, ends at like the bottom of her vagina. Yep. Like it is, it is ridiculous. And I'm not. You know, listen, she's a very attractive. Woman. Oh no, I'm, I'm like not saying she's not. Marina Sirtis is gorgeous. She is, but again, Tasha Yar doesn't show an inch of skin, nope. and I was drooling over her. It's not about exposing skin necessarily. Like that just was undignified and kind of gross, and almost like it looked uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It just didn't work for her. On the other hand, I did you her hair and her makeup and stuff. She's very much of the late '80s, and uh, let me tell you, as a guy who hit puberty around this time, that's just what women looked like. Mm. So I don't think she looked that weird to me. I don't know. I mean, she's got like the gigantic, electrified hair, and yeah, that's it. Looks like someone applied makeup to her with a trowel. Well, let me show you pictures from uh, from around when I went to prom. (laughs) That's just how women dressed up back then. I, it's it's I, ridiculous now, but that's how it goes. Troy's another character that I actually like, and she has nothing to do in this episode except tell us what we already know. The thing is, get used to that. Yeah. That is Troy's job throughout the series. Troy was such a good idea for a character. I think being the ship's counselor hurts her. Yep. We, we talked about this watching. I like when she's sort of Picard's right-hand right hand man, right-hand lady. You know, like they're helping him. He's a diplomat primarily. He's a negotiator. He's a, you know, he's always there trying to make the tense situation less tense. Yep. Having her at his right hand is perfect to help him have that advantage. Yeah, making her a counselor puts her in a box where it's just like, well, you have to give a shit about whatever, how everyone is feeling. Well, there's that whole touchy-feely crap that I guess was probably Gene's idea. This ship would have families, and it has a counselor. No, it's still the military. Yeah. Don't bring your families to war. I mean, no, look, it's not a warship. It's an exploration ship. But it's still going to go into dangerous situations, and people are going to get killed. People get killed every fucking week. Yeah, and the thing is, if you're exploring the unknown, sometimes the unknown is not going to like you. So that's what I mean. Well, no, no, because in the future, everyone gets along. But they look at Grumpler Zork. (laughs) Look at Grumple Stiltskin. (laughs) No, that's a DS9 episode. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. But anyway, is that everyone from the cast? Do we miss it? Well, of uh, course, there's Wesley. Wesley. Or as you said when the credits came up, oh, the internet's Will Wheaton's in this. Ah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, we have Wesley who really doesn't do anything except be annoying. Here's here's one thing. I actually made a pass through the show a couple of years ago. I think just before we started doing this podcast and I decided I should wait. Mm-hmm. I was I had already made a pass through this. And Wesley does not save the ship as much as you think he does. No, but he does there. save the ship. Well, he does. He does save the ship and he shouldn't. He is well, a he should never kid. do or, or maybe once. But yeah, you're right. But my point is the the reasons you think you hate him are not entirely correct. When you watch and you see, you'll realize there are a whole other reasons well, to hate he's him. He's a smarmy know-it-all. 
Yeah. There, Captain Picard, let me sit in your chair and tell you how to run the bridge. Fuck you! Yeah. Now, first of all, I think the idea of having a kid character is a bad idea no matter what. Yeah. I just flat out think that. I think Jake Sisko was a little less annoying, but still, at the very least, at least he wasn't in Starfleet. No, that's true. He had his own um, annoying shit to do. I actually didn't mind him, but I, I, I just, I don't think a show needs a kid. I think that's a, you know, that's the trappings of the late 80s, and I yep. think it's This it's is how wrong. we sell action figures. I guess. Incidentally, the I remember the Star Trek The Next Generation action figures. They, yeah, I had a, I had a ton of them. They had the phasers just glued into the hand like a lightsaber. Really? Yeah, I they didn't did. Have those? I had the good ones. No, no, these were the first ones before the Playmates ones. These are the little. Ah, no, I had, I had the Playmates ones. And no, those I ones had a... an entirely different problem in that the phasers just always had a beam coming out of them. Yep. And uh, everyone came with the exact same one. Yep. So if you didn't have them holding it, you'd have a stack of like fifty phasers. Yep. Everyone had fifty had a phaser, a purse, and a tricorder. Yep. Um, and I, I bought a Wesley action figure, but only in his Starfleet uniform. I didn't want that rainbow sweater variant, because no. Nobody wants that rainbow sweater. No. Um, but yeah, I don't like the idea that there's a kid there. Uh, I know Will Wheaton is an internet darling, and putting aside the issue that I had with him two years ago that, as I've said, is no longer an issue, mm. I'm still going to say I don't think he's a very good actor. Mm. I just don't. I don't think he's nearly up to the caliber as everyone else in this ensemble. I think... That's going to become apparent later on as Wesley gets some emotional weight and he just can't carry it. But yeah. We'll get to that when we get to it. I, he was good in Stand By Me, but I just don't think he's very good as this character. Yeah. Whereas I think everyone else in this cast, whether they're well-written or not. No, this I is think, a talented cast. And you got to give them that over the original series. This is a much better ensemble. Yep. And it feels like an ensemble versus here's the three main guys and the rest. Like versus Kirk and Friends. Yep. No, this feels like Picard and his trusted team. Yeah. And it's very telling whenever you see promotional stuff for the original series, you see uh, Kirk, Spock, and Bones. And when you see promotional stuff for Next Gen, it's like the Core 7. Yeah. Which is nice. Um, um, what else? Let's see. There, we, got Worf in, we got Worf in this. and Well, well there's Beverly. Yeah, let's who, talk, tackle her first. I actually like the way she's played here. She's a little cold. She's a little distant. And yep. I think it's because her husband died not long ago. And First, she's got to deal with Riker, who's kissing up to the captain and possibly hitting on her. Mm-hmm. And she just kind of dismisses him. She doesn't him. know that that's Riker's uh, default mode whenever he's talking to a woman. Yeah, exactly. And Or, or I think she does know that. That might also be it. And she's like, Ugh, I've heard about you. Just go away. Leave me alone. Ah, uh, yes. Starfleet's Will Decker Riker. Yes, I know how yeah. this goes. Now, it comes off... The thing is, in a pilot, when you're first meeting these characters, they come off as unlikable because of this. Mm-hmm. But I was I was kind of justifying her unlikableness as sort of deliberate. And sure. I can see her as being sort of guarded and sort of, you know, closed off and a little cold just because of what she's been through. And I can forgive her that only because I know the character becomes much more warm and open later. Yeah, see, this is the problem. If you're originally watching this episode, like, a lot none of, of these, these char- char- yeah. none of these characters are likable. The captain is a really hard sell. Yep. I mean, he is official and, like, he instantly knows what to do when Q shows up and that's all fine but he's not a likable character no he's not he's he's a hard ass and there's actually a great little scene with him and Riker where he's like the captain is expected to you know uh, put off a feeling of geniality so it's your responsibility for that geniality because I don't know what the fuck I'm doing because I don't like people 
well, kids certainly, but yeah, yeah. people in general. But I think he they actually like some of the better writers craft an arc out of that. Yeah. That's where he starts and the last shot of the the, the finale, spoilers, mm-hmm. is, you know, him sitting down to that table for the first time and playing cards with them. Yep. I think that's very telling and I think that's deliberate. I think they wrote him hard now so that they could eventually soften him over time. I, and it feels natural. It does. Uh, the only problem is that this is a pilot and this is how yeah. you're this is how you're getting people to watch your show and there's yeah. not there'll be there'll be time for that later. Right now you yeah. need to cement people watching your show. I agree. I will say um because I've had a bit of personal stuff going on, I didn't actually get a chance to watch both parts until just now, until we watched them together for the show. Um, our, our process is we watch our episodes separately, write our, uh, you know, write our stuff, and then watch together before the show, so we, it's all fresh in our minds. So I was only just watching part two, you know, just now. I, I was under the impression just watching part one that this was very slow and tedious and padded. It's weighted really strangely because the second part is mostly action. Mm-hmm. It actually, the second part improves substantially. The first part is really slow and tedious and setting up these unlikable characters. But the second part, at least you see them in action. Mm-hmm. You see the way they work together. You see what they do. Running and jumping. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, they I mean, to... Shatner wanted to focus on, on what he does best. And that's obviously carried over into this. Yeah. Well, they get to run around in a tunnel. There's a... And jump. Yep. Uh, Wesley tried to jump from one rock to another rock and failed, but there was jumping involved. Yep. So... That happened. Um, but no, I think I think it gets a little better. It does feel like two stories were smushed together. The Q putting them on trial thing is great. Yep. The weird alien enslaved to be a, a space station is also great. Yep. But they don't really work together. No, it was just, it was flat out. I read this on Memory Alpha. It's just flat out two episodes were squished together because they found out yeah. they needed to do a, a two-hour pilot. And you could basically do that with anything. Q is putting them on a, you know, it's a test. Yeah. Like, whatever's, whatever story is happening this week, fine, grab the first script. Whatever you're doing, I'm going to test you on that thing you're doing. Yeah, and make sure you've solved the problem by the end, which the script already has you doing. Mm-hmm. So, well done. Yep, nice job. Yeah. I loved the aliens. I truly thought they were well-designed, well-thought-out. It's a cool concept. Yep. These weird-looking glowy space jellyfish. Yep. Very awesome looking. And they looked good for, what was this, 1988, 1989? 1987 is when it aired, so they would have been making it in 86. Good gravy. Yeah. And it was, it was I would say, film caliber at that point. It looked like stuff that was in sci-fi movies yep. of the time. Definitely a cut above TV. So much of the direction was very television to me. And the lighting and the music. Oh, God, there's a point where there's a synthesizer version of the of the score. Do, 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 there's, do. Actually, through season one, and I think even into season two, there's a there's a, a push t- away from orchestrated uh, score doing synthesizer stuff, and it just dates Ugh, it so it's, bad. It's really not good. Whereas when you write with an orchestra, uh, the original series, the music, while it was bombastic with a lot of horns and it sounds very 60s, it's still sort of timeless mm. in a way. Whereas those synthesizers immediately place you in the mid to late 80s no matter what. Yep. Um... But no, most of the actual effects, like the ship, you know, we certainly watched it, uh, you know, uh, separating for a long time. Yeah. But that looked great. Oh, no, it looked fine, which is why it's weird that they never, like, they only ever did it, what, three more times? Yeah. 
No, they um yeah three total. There's one in season one. There's one against the Borg, mm-hmm. and then there's one in the movie, and that is it. It's like guys, you know, you're not actually separating a ship, right? You already have the footage. You can just do this whenever you want. Yeah, and I, I it makes sense to me on a practical level that you know if you've got civilians on, you put them in one section and send them away. Yep, and then. You put the, the hardcore military personnel in the other section, which has all the guns and the engines and crap. Mm-hmm. That makes sense to me, but they never use it. Nope. It's just much easier to have the Enterprise welded together. Yep. Well, and that's fine, too. I guess really the problem matter. is that if it stays separated too long, they have to figure out what to call it, and then they have to call it the Enterprise DB. <laughs> yeah, that would be confusing, because then people would think it's the Enterprise douchebag, and that's <laughs> not cool. Um, no, I, the, the optical effects, like, I'll be interested to see when the Blu-rays come out, like, them improving this stuff, because the, the Q, uh, net is not great, but most of the other stuff actually looks pretty good already. Yep. But the actual directing, the actual shooting the actors on sets, some of it is very clumsy, like, there's weird angles, there's a point where Q's, uh, it, it's in the, uh, the, the trial, mm-hmm. um, where uh, Picard, there's close-ups of Picard, and it looks like it's shot through a keyhole. There's, like, the upper corner is obscured, and it's dark. Yeah, or, what, like, the cameraman the left his thumb on the... Uh... Yeah. As, as you said, it's like your mom shot it. Yes. And got her finger in the in the lens. <laughs> and it's, like, there's... It's actually a good set, and that that giant chair that Q is in is great, and the costume is great, and it's just sort of kind of fumbled by clumsy directing. Yep. Which is unfortunate. Um, but again, Delancey, you know, like, that costume he's in is great, and the way he plays that scene is great, and just everything about it. Yeah, no, he's got this great he's got this great sort of regalness to it with that scene. The, yeah. the way he jumps between personalities, depending on what clothes he's wearing, really, well, and again, really that feels very, uh, just yeah. occurred to me this time. It, it, never, it never occurred to me to compare him to Gorshin until a minute ago. No, but is... that's pretty spot on. Yeah, although better. Well, yes. Because I think Gorshin could only play over the top, whereas I've seen John Delancey now in Breaking Bad where he played some hardcore dark shit mm-hmm. and did it really well. So I know he's got the range there. But um, let's see. Is there any other major stuff we need to, to discuss? Oh, we still haven't talked about Worf at all, which oh, is telling uh, well, because he has nothing to do in this. No, and the thing is he was meant to be a minor character. Really? Yes. Initially, it was just supposed to be to show that Klingons are friendly now. He was just going to be a guy on the bridge. He was going to be like O'Brien. He was going to be one of the guys just there. Huh. But he was not supposed to be a major guy. When Ta- when they killed off Tasha, they're like, wait a minute. We got a Klingon character. He's interesting, and the actor's good. Yeah. You know, it's like I was saying with Jordy. This is obvious. We should be using the resources we have. This guy's great. Huh. But yeah, originally, I mean, I... I don't have anything in front of me now to confirm this, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I'm 95% sure that it was just supposed to be that shock of, oh, my God, there's a Klingon. Oh, no, I had and no case, idea. I thought he was supposed to be there from the very beginning. He's supposed to be there, but I, I'm pretty sure he's not in the main credits. Oh, all right. Like, I'm pretty sure he's not part of the primary ensemble. He's just like O'Brien. Where O'Brien's there, and he doesn't have a name yet. No, and it's he's funny just gone. Well, and the thing is, Cole Meany was a character actor back then, and, well, he still is, but, you know, Mm -hmm. they just got a guy to be there. And it's like when you watch old episodes of Buffy and you see Jonathan in a crowd. Yeah. It's like, you know, one day they're going to, they're going to make that guy something great. For now, he's just kind of there. Yeah. 
and and it's cool because we know we know that he becomes a great character on next gen and then into DS9. One of the best characters on DS in, on a great cast in DS9. One of my favorite Star Trek characters overall. Yeah. If I had to make a top, I don't know, top three list even, he'd probably be in it. Man, but, next uh, gen is making me want to watch DS9 and I can't. No, no. We were we were just gonna gonna fool you guys and open with uh, emissary parts one and yeah. two, but can't can't do that. We got seven years of this ahead of us. Most of those will be good. Yeah, no, I know, I know. I, I also ask you, Matt, and the listeners to take note of while season one is bad, I maintain season seven is equally bad. Well, I will be interested to check that out when we get to season seven. This this show is very much a bell curve to me. It starts really rough. It gets really good in the middle, and then it starts getting bad again. Mm-hmm. Like, season two has some great and some bad, and on the other side, season six has some great and some bad, and seven is almost completely terrible. Just like one. Yeah. It's weird. And the peak of the show is like three, four, five. Those mm-hmm. are awesome seasons. Very strange. Um, let's see. Any any other major things? Any? Uh, let's see. Did we tackle the entirety of the cast? I think so. I think Rappler I think we're gonna definitely you know we have we have 178 episodes ahead of us. We're obviously going to go more into these characters. Oh, totally. I think talking about this story specifically and just our first impressions yeah. is enough for now. But I just want to make sure we didn't miss any major things because right. we did we did come out of the shoot giggling about Groppler Zorn for 10 minutes. Oh my so I want to make God. sure. <laughs> want to make sure that we're talking about things that were important in the in the series. Well, I didn't want to bingle or boggle the Farpoint Grop. <laughs> Um, we got, we got an introduction to the holodeck. Which, yes. You know, fine. I, at first it's a good idea that they just go to too many times, I think. Yeah. But, you know. No, so I, th- far, I think so the good. holodeck is a neat older idea. Like, we, oh, yeah, they had we, it in the animated series. We talked about series, how, it was, how it was in the animated series. It was supposed to be in season four of, uh, original Trek, if they yeah. had one. And it's a, it's a cool idea. It and, is. you know, they'll do some fun stuff with it later and then it becomes tedious, but. But without the holodeck, we wouldn't have Ship in a Bottle, which is one of the best episodes Yeah, ever. it is. Um, but that's, what, season five or six? Yeah, so we we're got, still we a ways to tell Ship in the Bottle. We haven't even hit Elementary Dear Data yet. Yeah. Which is another good holodeck episode. It is. Uh, and the Dixon Hill one's yep. not bad. So, yeah, got some good stuff coming up there. Um, <laughs> next week, however, we get the Naked Now, which mm-hmm. is their second episode. We're trying to we're trying to distance ourselves from the original series. Let's redo an exact episode down to the title. Yep. Ugh, really already? Don't we have? It's seventy years later. Don't we have a cure for Rattler syndrome yet? Well, <laughs> not only that, and and we'll talk about this more next week. But uh, not only that, but we don't know these characters yet. No. It's hard to react to them acting out of character when we don't know what in character is yet. You, if you'd done that episode in, say, season three, it'd be like, whoa, Worf's acting weird. Yeah, it's but, guys, this is at the very least your season finale. Right. Like, this is, okay, that was a year of Star Tr- of Next Gen. Now let's go back to original series and see. Well, not even that, but giving them something that makes them act out of character. Yeah. You don't know them yet, so it do- it's not really a shock until you know what they're all about. Yeah, it's like all I know about these characters is that I don't like them very much. No. And really, you know, putting aside what we know comes later. Yeah. Who did you actually like in this episode? Jordy. That's it. Really? I didn't get enough Jordy to like him. I had... I know... <laughs> Again, I know I'm going to like him later, but I can't. That doesn't count. I like Jordy because he basically seemed to be in a good mood, and he made a joke. Well, and that's the thing about Jordy. He's always sort of upbeat, and he's a bit of a nerd, but again... 
I'm projecting a lot of what I know later. So yeah. now he's just he was he had about as many lines as O'Brien did. Yeah. He didn't have that much to do. He was just kind of there. Um yeah, no, no one else really not Picard. Riker was okay, but there was a bit of a creepy vibe, as you'll yeah. see from our cover art. Oh my god, the, his pedophile <laughs> grin at Wesley is just unsettling. And the thing is, hey, I buddy. find Riker charming. Yeah. Like, I think he's better than Kirk in that he doesn't come off as an entitled douchebag, that women go to bed with him because they find him sexy and charming. Yeah. And not just because he overpowers them with sheer force of will. Mm-hmm. No pun intended. Um, but I... I, I He's still a little creepy here, and maybe the beard helps. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, it, look, he's got a bizarre chin, and either a beard or chinderwear is definitely necessary. Yeah. We're, we're just going to have to suck it up for this season and, and deal with yep. that. But there's so much other awfulness to, to come. <laughs> Jesse's going to show up and ring in the beard for us. Yeah. But uh, right for now, I don't know. I don't, I don't care that much. No. There, was, there, was, there were two good plots here. But I did, really didn't care about the characters that were interacting with them. Yeah, no, I I tried to when I was watching this, I tried to think of what it was good, what it was like in nineteen eighty whatever. Yeah, eighty seven. And this came when this came out, and all you'd had so far, like as a hardcore Trek fan coming into this completely new universe, basically. Yeah, yeah, and, and they only had like four movies at that point. Yeah, too. the last one had been four. Yeah, five came out. What, like a year after this? Yeah. So it's like. Star Trek is finally back. It's yeah. on a roll. Three good movies in a row. This is great. And now there's a new TV series. Awesome. Oh, what the hell is this? Wow. And, and I mean, like, this eventually becomes a good thing. But Picard could not be more different than Kirk. Yeah. And, like, again, uh, that will eventually be fine. It will be make him, you know, a, a completely different, unique, perfect, like, excellent character. But right now, he just seems like a jerk. Yeah. Seems like an old, bald jerk who wants everything done, like, very rigidly. And the thing is, Kirk was, you know, we pointed this out many times, a a very unlikable, forceful, you know, jerk. Oh, totally. But... He was our jerk. We, yeah, we we love to hate him. Mm -hmm. Like like we said when we reviewed the the 2009 movie, writing him as a young frat boy douchebag was great. And I would not want to be friends with this guy, but I love watching him. On the other hand, Whereas, if you're friends with him, he will go out of his way to make sure you get all the best stuff, so. Well, that's true, too. He'll also slap you on the back very painfully. Yes, and constantly. That seems to be his move now. Yes. Bones. <sighs> yeah. Picard, not likable. Riker, little creepy. Uh, Data, okay, but awfully emotional for an android. Yep. Uh, at one um, point, uh, Picard has Riker basically put the saucer and the... Uh, the butt of the ship back together <laughs> and uh you get a uh a uh sort of a like sort shot. of like sulu parking the enterprise in one of the movies i forget which one but you get a reaction shot from tasha and data and data basically does a yeah he like sticks his finger in his collar and... yeah. yeah okay so yeah a little too emotional for an android um tasha way too just captain i can't stand here and let this happen Ugh. Shut up, lady. Mm-hmm. Troy's a mess. Um, who else is there? Crusher's okay, but there's not much there yet. Yep. Wesley's horrible. Wesley fell in a pond. Well, you know. Uh-huh. Why didn't the water disappear when he walked out of the holodeck? I don't know. And what about Scarecrow's brain? 
not a nice thing to say. <laughs> uh, so that, that, that's pretty much the whole cast, right? Did yeah. I miss anybody? Yeah, none of them particularly likable yet. Good plot, decent effects, bad directing. Mixed bag overall, I would say. Yeah. Not uh, not their finest hour. No. But fortunately, we know what's to come, and we're going to try to judge these on their own merit and not take that into account. But it does. It is nice to know at some point there's going to be a relief, a little relief. Yeah. All right. Uh, you ready to push forward here? I suppose. Okay, so um, my quote is the aforementioned awesome cameo, which uh, we were very careful not to mention here because I kind of want to uh, – anyone who hasn't seen this, it would be a nice surprise. Um, DeForest Kelly shows up. Uh, they never call him by name. They just say the Admiral, but he's been investigating the, the medical facilities the whole time. Uh, and he's got this fantastic scene with, uh, with Data, um, which is just perfect. And, I, it's, again, I can tell – what Gene wrote and what DC Fontana wrote, because this is so clearly written by DC Fontana. And it's a little long, but that's because I just could not figure out where to cut it. So here it is. If you've got some reason you want my atoms scattered all over space, boy. No, sir. But at your age, sir, I thought you shouldn't have to put up with the time and trouble of a shuttlecraft. Hold it right there, boy. Sir? What about my age? Sorry, sir. If that subject troubles you. Troubles me? What's so damn troublesome about not having died? How old do you think I am anyway? 137 years, Admiral, according to Starfleet records. Explain how you remember that so exactly. I remember every fact I'm exposed to, sir. I don't see no points on your ears, boy. But you sound like a Vulcan. No, sir. I'm an android. Almost as bad. I thought it was generally accepted, sir, that Vulcans are an advanced and most honorable race. They are, they are. Damn annoying at times. Yes, sir. Well, this is a new ship, but she's got the right name. Now, you remember that, you hear? I will, sir. You treat her like a lady. Such a such a great scene. Uh, Matt, what do you got? Well, I apparently was unclear on the episode cut, and this is my quote. If you've got some reason you want my atoms scattered all over space, boy. Hang on. No, no, no. You can't use the same quote. I Look, I was sure that it was in my, my part of the thing, okay? No, okay, I see. Specifically why I okay. asked for part two. Yeah, see, and I, I thought I ended up with the, the great part of part one. It seems like that scene ends part one. Maybe, I, uh, I don't know. You got something else? Fine, here. Adjust pitch angle. Negative three degrees. Well, that, that was a quote that happened in the episode, certainly. What do you want from me? I didn't have any prep time. All right. Um, now, I, I, in the past, we've had a different feature. At the end here, yes. we've had um, we had our in the future thing. Uh, we had our alternate titles. I think what we're going to do now is uh, good thing, bad thing, which I, is not our idea. This has been no. used by many other podcasts that do reviews in the past. But I think it's good for us to, especially early on, mm-hmm. try to find something redeemable in these episodes, or in a great episode, try to find something you know to laugh at. Yes. So, and I think I, each of us, for each episode, needs to find one good thing and one bad thing. And afterwards, we get a ram chip. <laughs> and then, 
There's a stipulation here. There's a horrible stipulation here. Once during season one, each of us must make Wesley a good thing one time. Find a good thing to say about Wesley. Get it over with early is my is my uh, advice to you. Yeah. God. But I think I think that will give us an interesting challenge. <laughs> Mine might end up being in one of the episodes that he's well, Wesley wasn't here this week. <laughs> that's no, a, that doesn't count. That's a good thing. That doesn't count. All right, so that said, um, let me go first with mine. All right. Uh, good thing, John Delancey. Absolutely. Ab- totally. Knocked that out of the park from, from line one. Didn't fumble anything. Even with the clumsiest, you know, flimsiest writing, he sold it because he is great. And he matches totally matches wits with Patrick Stewart, whom we know is a fantastic actor. Yep. Uh, what do you got for a good thing? My good thing is going to be the appearance of Chief O'Brien. We'll go on to yes. be awesome later on. And we'll suffer unimaginably. Because that's good TV. See, at this point, he doesn't have a name yet. He's just sort of working in the background. Yep. Once he gets an identity, it all goes downhill yeah, from there. O'Brien's doing all right for himself right now. He's got a sweet job driving the battle bridge. They call him Khan. Yep. So that, yeah. He's still wearing red. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, bad thing, oh boy. Well, I can't say Groppler Zorn because <laughs> he's, he's I can't say Groppler spot. Zorn because it's impossible. <laughs> I'm not I'm not usually a giggler, is the thing. <laughs> you know me, I'm pretty deadpan. You say something funny and I can say that's funny, but I can't I can't. Yeah, I'm so, not since Mr. Hengus. <laughs> The thing we have that sweet spot on this show. We have that great little area where we find something we love. <laughs> Grappler's horn. Is, that's that's that is almost my good thing. <laughs> because finding the hilarity in this series, like it takes itself a little too seriously at first, too. Yeah, it does. Until until they lighten up a bit and realize they can have some fun while they're doing you know all the serious stuff. Like it's a little tedious. So it's nice that we write you know. Right at the beginning, found something to giggle about. Um, bad thing, Chris. I don't know. The directing. I'm going to go, like, okay, the script was a little ham-fisted, and there were other problems, but really, the directing really bothered me. There were some angles that made no sense, weird close-ups. Just, it's surprisingly inept for a show with this kind of budget. Yep. And it wasn't even as well-directed as, as some of the 60s episodes. It was just very surprising to me that... Some easy things like, you know, a series of close-ups of two people talking to each other were handled so poorly. Yep. So, that would be mine. How about you? Mine is just Troy. <laughs> but just, you did, I, looking through your notes, you did like that bag of hay description. She for looks like a bag of hay. Well, all right then. A shapely bag of hay. You really can't make out any shapes in that, uh, in her in her potato sack. Very well. Also, they almost completely duplicated that scene where Decker and Ilya meet, re-meet for the first yep. time. Yep. You know, <laughs> I love when that came up and you're just mind? like, can you read my mind? Yep. Well, I mean, that's what's going on. Well, yes. All right. Um, well, that is it. As I say, next week uh, we have the Naked Now. Yep. We're finally and getting I back don't... to the way things used to be. Yeah. Two episodes, and... no waiting. Right. Um... What's the other one? I don't remember off the top uh, of my head. I don't know. Well, I have the we'll beholder. We'll get there when we get there. 
something like that. <laughs> the the beholder of death. How Wait, sharper no, than Dr. a serpent's tooth? <laughs> and I have touched the sky. And I have touched the sky. <laughs> for Troy's for Troy's skirt is short, and I have touched the thigh. <laughs> All right, that is all from us. We will be back next week. Matt, Mr. say it. <laughs> Mr. Matt, engage. Uh, see you, folks. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar Watt and Matt Robotham. Copyright 2011. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun.